Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. Happy Father's Day, everybody. If you're listening to this podcast, this podcast is coming out on the week of Father's Day. And I just wanted to take a minute and say Happy Father's Day and to do an episode of uh, the Jimmy'sTable.com podcast dedicated to the topic of being a father, episode 114. But before we do, I want to kind of get into some shenanigans a little bit. I want to play the following clip from Will Ferrell and... Mark Wahlberg, where they engage in some shenanigans about dad jokes. And, you know, how can you talk about dads without engaging in a lot of cheesy dad joke type humor? So, without further ado, Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell, laying down some dad jokes. Did you know in King Arthur's time, one of the Knights of the Round Table collected taxes? His name was Surcharge. Did you hear Steve Harvey and his wife got into a fight? <laughs> That's not real, is it? Yeah. It was a family feud. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car does an egg drive? A Jokwagen. What? A Jokwagen. What do you call the syrup with a speech impediment? Oh, scissorp. Mrs. Stuttersworth. <laughs> what was the foot's favorite type of chips? Dory toes. <laughs> That's terrible. What did the plumber say to the singer? Nice pipes. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of shoes do gophers wear? Glofers. Woodchucks. Did you know on average people want three covers on their beds at all times? No. That's just a blanket statement. <laughs> Where would you grow a chef? We're, a chef is an, a chef who cooks yeah. food. Where would you grow a chef? Yes. Bakersfield. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chef and a baker are different. So that was fun, right? Nothing like good dad, dad jokes. The, the best thing about dad jokes, I think, is like the punchline. It's always like very, very climactic. Like you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to be awful. And yet you accept the outcome just the same. And you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> And, and it's just, it's good, clean, lighthearted fun. Well, sometimes it's clean, you know, sometimes dad jokes get a little overboard and there are some definite jokes Mark Wahlberg and uh, Will Ferrell told that were dad jokes that I decided to leave out of my very PG-rated uh, uh, podcast. But anyway, I digress. Um, but, you know, dad jokes, Father's Day. You know, Father's Day is a tricky thing and it got me to thinking, well, I believe most of us have had pretty good fathers by and large. We live in a world where a lot of people, though, have not known the blessing of having a good father. Instead, there are many people who live in this world where their father is entirely absent, disengaged, cruel, abusive, and maybe even a source of terror. I certainly count myself lucky, though, to have had the blessing of growing up with a terrific father. There was never a doubt in my mind that our family was the most important thing in the world to him. I grew up in a household full of love. 
My father is one of 13 children. And unfortunately, I never got a chance to know my grandfather because my dad's father passed away when my dad was only seven years old. And I think the fact that his father died at such a young age caused him to really up his game when it came to have uh, when it came time to have a family of his own. And I think that really explains um, why he poured everything he did into having our family because. He knew what it was like to grow up without a dad. He told me once that he went to school, came home, and found out his dad was no longer in the world. Um, And that definitely shaped who my father ended up becoming and the man he ended up becoming. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I I saw my dad grow up, um, and he worked tireless hours in a factory as an electrician often on graveyard shifts for much of his career, working sometimes six and seven days a week was not an infrequent thing for him to do. Yet in all of that, my father still found time to coach my uh, brother's hockey team and my hockey team. So he coached two different youth hockey teams growing up that we played on for several years. Um, and throughout all of that, in spite of working 60, 70 plus hours a week, five, six, seven days a week, My dad seldom ever missed a game or practice. And he often meant not going, or it often meant foregoing his own sleep so that he could play hockey with his sons. Uh, Yet, as busy as my dad was, I never felt that my father was too busy for us or too tired for us, even in moments when he clearly was very tired. And don't get me wrong, (laughs) I saw my dad tired, very tired, many times. Yet he sacrificed deeply, yet for all his sacrifice and for all his lack of sleep, um, yet for all his working hours that he spent working, I don't ever recall hearing my dad complain all that much, if at all. Um, And what must have been very hard on him, you know, at the end of the day, to me, from my perspective, came across as a joy to him because he ultimately knew the sacrifices he was making was to afford us a better life. Like I said, my dad was one of 13 children. His father died when he was but seven years old. And as a result of that, you can imagine growing up one of 13 children um, whose father suddenly and tragically died of an illness. um, You know, my dad grew up in deep poverty. And he joked about it once. I, I remember my dad once saying, you know, Jimmy, we had enough food for 28 days out of the month which, of course, works well in months that end in February. (laughs) But those other two, or maybe even sometimes three days and the rest of the month, uh, things were a little little hard. He liked to joke that, uh, and I don't know if it actually happened. I know he joked about it happening, but he joked about it as his his sisters dated when they got older, that they always required all the young male suitors to drop off a sack of White Castle hamburgers Uh, at the house to uh, help feed the kids. So if you were taking one out, you kind of had to help feed the rest of the family too. I don't know if that really happened, but he joked about it enough to make me think there might be a hint of truth in that joke. Um, And so needless to say, my father knew poverty and he knew it deeply. Um, And he knew poverty deeply growing up in the city of Chicago. Not an easy place to be poor. Um, And... I was talking to my father about it once, and he said, you know, that once he kind of made a vow to himself that 
that no matter what it took, my father said he was determined that his children would never know the poverty that he knew growing up as a child. Um, and I can honestly say that while we weren't rich when I was a kid, um, we never knew what it meant to lack. Even during hard financial times in which my parents found themselves counting every penny. My father made sure of it that we always had clothes on our back, a roof over our head, and food in our stomach. And whatever he had to do to make that happen, he did. And he constantly sought ways to better his life, better his career, better his family's life. And even though, you know, things were hard, I definitely know there were hard times my parents had financially growing up. But I think is the common experience for many. Uh, I was blissfully underwear, unaware of, of, of that because my father determined that his children would not know poverty. Um, and hard as it might be, um, at times that it might have been hard, I know it definitely was hard. Um, I was shielded from, from the terrors of knowing hunger um, and knowing cold and not knowing what it was to have a constant source of provision for my needs. That, that was the life my father sought to have for us, and he succeeded well in doing that. So I count myself as somebody who's tremendously blessed. Don't get me wrong, my father is not a perfect person. Uh, nobody's father is a perfect person, but he's been an amazing individual. Um, and I know um, my experience may be rare for some folks and, and maybe on, you know, it might almost seem idyllic. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people know what it means to have a good father. But like I said, we live in a world where sometimes good fathers are in short supply. We know of fathers who are terrible, terrible individuals, um, where they're entirely absent and maybe even a source of terror to their families. And because of this, you know, I think this is kind of, shaped how society views fathers. We live in a society that tends to dump on dads. If you're honest and you're, you think about it, watch TV sometimes. Um, well, I think most of us have had good fathers and we would be very willing to defend the idea that we had good fathers and to say, my dad could beat up your dad sort of uh, gamesmanship with how much we appreciate how awesome our fathers were. It's not uncommon for fathers to be portrayed as kind of in a negative light uh, and popular media. In TV shows, movies, commercials, I think you often see that more often than not, instead of fathers being portrayed as, as strong individuals who take care of their families, who, who are there for their, their sons and daughters, although that does happen from time to time, typically more commonly these days, I think it, fathers kind of become a proverbial whipping boy who take a lot of flack. Dads are the frequent but of a lot of jokes. Dads are viewed as out of touch. They're subject to many put-downs and painted as kind of a out-of-sorts individual who really doesn't know what's going on. Dads are ultimately seen as a, you know, kind of disappointing figure in the household at the end of the day. And um, at some point, I don't know when it quite happened, but at some point, our culture, I guess, decided it was tired of the leave-it-to-beaver, fathers-knows-best type of figures that we saw portrayed of fathers on, on TV in the 50s and 60s and, and days in which TVs were black and white. 
Um, and we started seeing more individuals like Al Bundy and Homer Simpson be increasingly portrayed as the, the kind of typical father. Um, and of course, without a doubt, you know, such is simply done for entertainment purposes. You know, leave it to beaver type father figures um, are overly idealistic. They are overly romanticized and, and not where a lot of people live I think, most of the time when it comes to fathers. Um, but, you know, to be honest, at the same time, the negative characters of Al Bundy and Homer Simpson uh, and all these lackluster father types that we see on TV and commercials and in movies, um, frankly, they're just a lot more entertaining. It's kind of, you know, hard to laugh at Leave it to Beaver's dad uh, versus uh, Homer Simpson, who's just, you know, a moron. Or... Or Al Bundy, who just likes to put his hands down his pants when he comes home, you know? Uh, just, people like that are just much more entertaining and comical. However, um, and, they, and they, in some sense they may be more relatable because they, they seem more real. We know our fathers aren't as ideal as the individuals portrayed on black and white television shows from the 50s and 60s. Um, we know our fathers are flawed. We know they have defects. Um, but I can't help but think that somewhere along the way and all this joking and entertainment uh, and, and, and uh, you know, but, or jokes at the expense of our fathers, um, I can't help but think it with all these jokes at the expense of our fathers that at some point we kind of started buying it. We started believing and preaching and teaching that, you know, fathers are disappointing figures in a household um, and art started becoming reality. Um, and instead of fathers being looked up as somebody we respect, love, admire, um, you know, fathers started taking on very, uh, you know, toxic labels and seen as dangerous individuals who might even be a threat to our very well-being. They are the stuff of lifetime movies. <laughs> of course, don't get me wrong, such people definitely, definitely, definitely exist. And we cannot ignore such men in our culture. There are indeed toxic, dangerous male individuals out there who aren't looking out for the best interests of their children and their family. I've known such terrible father figures in this world. Um, and I even concede you may have such a father figure in your life. And that's hard. And that's hard to admit and that's hard to talk about. Um, and if that's your situation or you know somebody who's in such a situation, my heart truly goes out for you because that's simply not the way things were ever supposed to be. Um, things were never supposed to be that way. Fathers aren't supposed to be these terrible, toxic, you know, soul-sucking individuals who make our lives a living hell. Uh, they're supposed to be a source of joy and delight, um, a source of life in our families. But it's not always worked out that way. And unfortunately, though, I think we've kind of bitten off a little too much in this narrative, though. Because I think at the end of the day, for all the terrible, terrible fathers that are out there, I, when I look at society as a whole, when I, know, when I think about the people I know, when I think about, um, you know, where we are as a country, I don't think we'd be where we are as a country if our fathers were as terrible as the ones portrayed on TV. I think most of our fathers love us. I think most of our fathers attempt to do the best they can for us to take care of us um, and to help us succeed and prosper 
and they sacrificially love their families. I think that is the experience that most individuals have. But of course, not all. And I know it may not be popular to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. For all the slack we give about fathers and even kind of talk of dismissing fatherhood altogether from society, like, you know, to talk about good fathers in society, people might start thinking, well, you might be some sort of chauvinist or, <laughs> you know, something of, of the, something of the sort. You must be a bigot if you're talking about, you know, fathers being a good thing. Um, but I believe as a society, we are all in need of good fathers. And I don't say that as a slight against any single moms out there. I know some truly amazing single moms out there who are rocking it and that they're just absolutely killing it in the parental arena. But I think we can take a moment to at least acknowledge that in a world in which there are fathers, that the fathers that do exist ought to at least be good ones, right? We can at least acknowledge that. You may not believe a man is necessary. You may not believe a father is necessary for some reason or another. And you may even believe a lot of men out there are toxic, chauvinistic, patriarchal jerks. But we can at least admit, right, that the fathers that do exist out there, they ought to at least be good ones. Because when fathers are bad, the world simply is not as the world ought to be. We can admit that, right? The world can't be right when fathers are not the men that they're supposed to be. In the Bible, the primary way that God reveals himself in scriptures, we see constantly painted from, from cover to cover, is that of a heavenly father. That's not to say that God doesn't reveal himself as, as other ways and, 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 and whatnot. But the primary way that Jesus of Nazareth revealed God to us was that of our heavenly father. And I don't think that's an accident. And not because the Bible has some sort of outdated, patriarchal, man-domineering, anti-woman perspective on the world. Such criticisms may float the boat of a lot of folks on Twitter. But you know, if we can be honest, such simply doesn't fly with the rich tapestry of the world we understand from the divine perspective that is offered in Scripture. God revealed himself, I believe, as a heavenly father in Scripture because we live in a world that has always and will always be built on relationships. Our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God ultimately exists, as a lot of theologians love to point out, as a community. And we as a people who are created in the image and likeness of God were formed for community as well. And the community of God has always been and will ever, forever be family-oriented. Even should you and I grow close enough to other individuals outside our own bloodlines, like with, as we do with really close friends or individuals that you know, may, we, we may even adopt, we begin to regard these individuals, even though they have no bloodline with us, but there's just something about them that we enter into a relationship with those individuals and say, you know, I may not be related to you biologically. My blood may not flow through your veins but your family to me just the same. And there's simply nothing closer when it comes to the bonds of human relationships than that of family. There's simply not. There's no replacement for it. And for all the other types of relationships, beautiful relationships that we might have, the family 
unit is how God has ultimately designed this world around. Um, and that's simply because it's a reflection of who he is. He wants us all to relate to one another as family, whether that is through our biological connections that we have, or maybe even some of the spiritual connections that we have. Heck, <laughs> when you even think about it, how goofy this is sometimes when it comes to family and how important family is and how close family ties may exist even across bloodlines. You know, it turns out family ties exist even across species lines. Um, who of us has not had a pet over the years? A dog, a beloved cat, although, you know, cats are evil, so maybe not cats. <laughs> um, but who of us has not had a family pet that we didn't regard as family, even though they're completely different species from us? So we relate to, as humanity, family being the ultimate thing that binds us all together in the closest possible of terms. We have no closer terms for relating to one another than that of family. And there's simply no way for us to be closer than that of being family, however our families are ultimately composed. And regardless of your role, or and regardless of your view of gender roles, and I admit there's a lot of different views on gender roles, and I'm not going to wade into that topic. Uh, that's pretty hairy. I have my own opinions on that, and maybe I'll save that for another day. But regardless of your views of gender, there's simply no denying that just pretty much in about every culture, not everyone, but just about every culture that has ever existed over the course of humanity, there's simply no denying that fathers are almost always seen as the figurehead of the family union, especially in Western society. And, and there may be a lot of complex reasons why that is, and there may be a lot of exceptions why that's not always the case. But whatever this gravity we've had, towards the family unit and whatever this gravity we've had to where the father is often seen as the figurehead for the family union and whatever the reasons why behind that, ultimately God chose to reveal himself to us in a way that relates to us um, and heavenly father is the way he's ultimately chose to manifest his relationship towards us. And God reveals himself as a father and I think because we kind of intuitively understand this father relationship, this father dynamic, God reveals himself as father to show us that no matter what our family composition and regardless of how functional or dysfunctional our family dynamics may be at home, God exists as a father figure for our own well-being and for our own sake. All others may disappoint us and forsake us, but God is always there. As our Heavenly Father. He's a father to the fatherless and looks out for the orphan, the widow, and the single mom. And even if your dad is an amazing figure and, you know, he lives long enough, we're all kind of going to start to see the chinks in our father's armor, even our most amazing fathers. I know my dad's weaknesses and some of his flaws and some things where I'm like, you know, dad, I didn't really like that about you. My dad's an amazing individual, and I think we can say that about all of our fathers, even when all of our fathers are amazing individuals. Because after, at the end of the day, our fathers are human, right? But we have one who sits in heaven who is not human. In him there is no disappointment. He is our heavenly father, and he's there for us in ways that even when our fathers are on top of their A-game, ultimately fail us. 
He's there when they are not. And while my dad can beat up your dad, <laughs> even my dad's not Chuck Norris, right? Um, so all of our fathers are going to disappoint us. All of our fathers are going to have failings. And above all, when God reveals himself as father, he does so not only to, to be a father to us, but to model to other fathers how they ought to serve as fathers, to better love on their own families, and even be fathers to those who lack fathers of their own or in need of some sort of fatherly influence and touch in their lives. You know, I, there's, there's always been this passage in the Bible from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that has always struck me um, regarding the Apostle Paul and his ministry. He had an interesting exchange with the, the church he ministered to in the city of Corinth in the Bible. Um, we think of ministers, and we think of them often, I think, today, especially in professional terms, where there are ministers who do their ministerial duties and serve in some sort of official capacity as pastor, priest, uh, reverend, or whatever. They, they baptize our babies, they perform our weddings, and they orchestrate our funerals. And we think of you know, ministers as, as, as very you know, almost um, counselor-type roles, but at the end of the day, you know, they treat us as, you know, they're professional individuals that they're attending to, uh, kind of their client base, and we treat them as the, the hired hand and the professional. Um, so there's this, you know, very professional-oriented nature to ministry that has taken on in the church today. And I think that's unfortunate. It exists whether we like it or not, though. Uh, but one thing that's always struck me about the way the Apostle Paul ministered to the church in Corinth uh, he talks about how he ministered to them in a very fatherly type of way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, the Apostle Paul wrote, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. And for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of the ways in which you are in Christ that are in me, just as I teach everywhere in the church. And that passage always has struck me because, you know, the Apostle Paul could have just been another professional minister, just another hired hand, just another priest, just another cleric doing his ministerial duties, administering the sacraments, burying the dead, performing weddings, baptizing people and, you know, preaching the gospel and running the church and doing all those sort of professional minister duty things. But he didn't approach his churches like that. He's like, hey, I've been a father figure to you. You know what kind of man I've been? And so when I talk to you, I'm not going to talk to you in some sort of lofty professional minister tone of voice here. I'm not going to write these things to shame you. I'm not going to do these things as, as somebody who needs to, like, you know, put you in your place. I'm going to approach you not as an instructor, not as a tutor, not as a teacher. I'm not going to come to you that way. I'm going to come to you as a father does his son. As a, as a father does his beloved children, he says. And not only that, you know, I'm going to send my protege here, Timothy. And he's not just my protege. Instead, he's a beloved and faithful child of mine in the Lord. And my, my, my favorite son here, he's going to come to you guys. And he's going to remind you of how dad does things. <laughs> and that's how he's good. And, that's, and that was his relationship with the church in Corinth. Of course, like any father-son-child relationship, sometimes those relationships got rocky, and they definitely got rocky in Corinth. Um, 
That's not to say everything was perfect in Paul's relationship uh, with the church in Corinth. But he definitely approached it in a way that I think I would like to see a lot more ministers approach. Dear minister friends, I, I, know, I know some of you listen to my podcast. Some of you are pastors of churches. Thank you for listening. Take Paul's admonition here seriously and to your own ministries. Don't just perform perfunctionary professional ministry duties. Relate to your churches in a very personal way as a father does his children. And let me just ask, do you have that kind of relationship with your church that you minister to? Or is it just understood that you're the hired hand and that you have certain duties outlined in the bylaws that you have to execute as the hired minister who's there to do his professional thing? Or do you relate to your church as a father does his child? I don't know. That, that one's for free, right? Okay, <laughs> moving on. Not to, not to sit here and slap you guys. Um, but I, I find this interesting because we live in an age where anybody and everybody can and will share their opinions on something. You know me. I'm such a person myself. <laughs> I have no shortage of opinions and I'm not afraid to share them with you. And I thank you guys for tuning in to my podcast at jimmystable.com to listen to me opine on my opinions. It's fantastic. I love it and I love you for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, we live in a world where there's no shortage of individuals like me. There's no shortage of educators, preachers, politicians, pundits, talk show hosts, podcast hosts, social media influencers, and all sorts of people trying to tell you how you ought to live your life. We know that all too well. We sign up for the self-help class, right? And we're glad to have such people, uh, you know, speak into our lives. And, you know, there's good things about those people. I, I'm glad I've had some of those people in my life. But, you know, for all the talking heads out there, I count myself as one of them, I've noticed there's a glaring lack of fathers. And I think we should let that sink in, especially as we are absorbed in a world full of folks telling it like it is, in a hot take culture where the best meme wins the day and shapes how an entire generation will think and act. Yet for all those memes, for all those tutors, there aren't many fathers. So what is a father, you might ask? Well, a father is a source of life, a source of love, and a source of joy. He's there when you need him. And even when you don't think you need him, he's there. He's always looking out for your well-being and is standing there ready to help you walk through your first steps in a world that is frankly capable of destroying you. He's someone who has lived life and knows how to navigate the complex world we find ourselves in and can lovingly and patiently demonstrate such and help you to do the same. A father is someone that is there for you, that you can turn to, and that you will ultimately turn to for support and advice. Even if, you're, if your dad's a little out of his league, in the area that you're turning to for support and advice, um, at the end of the day, there's just quite nothing like bouncing an idea off dad because you love him, you trust him, you know what sort of man he's been towards you, and you know that even if he knows he's out of his league, he's still going to do his best to, to push you in the right direction, even if he doesn't quite know what direction you should be taking. Because at the end of the day, 
while we live in a world full of people ready to tell you what to do, there are few people in this world who have actually taken the time and will take the time to roll up their sleeves and play ball with you. We have many tutors, we have many coaches, but not many fathers. And ultimately, a father exists not just to tell you what to do, but to help you ultimately embody the type of person that you must ultimately become. And God does this for us, and I believe he ultimately calls upon us to be fathers unto others, not only for those in our world who we are biological fathers to, but those who simply cross across our orbit, for those whom we have the opportunity to have deep and meaningful impact in relationships with. God wants us to take all that we've learned in this world and all that we've experienced, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the joyous, and everything in between, and to help pass the knowledge of all the things we have absorbed in this world and the people that we've become, to help pass that on to others and the next generation. So whatever your lot in life, whatever your occupation, whatever your calling, whatever hobbies you engage in, whatever is it that you ultimately do, Take a lesson from our Heavenly Father and look at how you might ultimately be a father to someone else. Happy Father's Day, everybody. This has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 114, Being a Father. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, be sure to email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, or be be sure to share it with your dad. Be sure to share it with family, friends, people that you think maybe need a little fatherly type uh, wisdom in their life, or how you simply can pass this on to help others be better fathers to other individuals, uh, wherever they might be. Again, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Hope you'll subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find out your favorite way to subscribe either by email, get a weekly newsletter, find out when the next podcast comes out, or you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and all the other fun places that podcasts are found. Oh, yeah, and if you have the opportunity, leave, leave me a five-star review somewhere. <laughs> I know you can do that at Apple. Not everybody has the opportunity to leave a, a five-star review at other places, but, you know, I know Apple takes five-star reviews, and if you can tell other people how great this show has influenced you in your life. And, you know, man, Jimmy's almost like a father figure to me. Uh, <laughs> no, please don't say that unless you actually know me. Um, but, you know, you know, maybe you can help some other people find this podcast if it's been a benefit to you. You know, positive reviews help go a long way in getting people who are sitting on the fence to say, you know, I'm going to give this guy who I know nothing about an opportunity to listen to what he has to say. So, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Take care. God bless. And see you next week. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.